0: Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, February 25th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, lawmakers in the House introduced legislation to eliminate the pink tax. And one leader from the Hospital Association weighs in on the debate on expanding Medicaid. Then Mississippi State University recognizes the power of of storytellers. Plus, in our book club, I Am a Man, Civil Rights Photographs in the American South, 1960 to 1970. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. House Bill 1238 would exempt baby formula, diapers, feminine care, and contraceptive products from the state's 7% sales tax. Democratic Representative John Hines of Greenville authored the bill. He says a woman brought the issue to his attention, saying the products are a growing expense for low-income families. He tells our Desiree Frazier his personal experience growing up with his mom and sisters helps inform his advocacy on the issue.
2: Four of us being raised, and sometimes she had to work two jobs. And um, when my baby sister was born, who I'm 13 years older than, when she was born, um, the cost of diapers sometimes caused a strain on my mom uh, because we didn't. She made too much money. We didn't qualify for any kind of assistance. So what we got was what she worked for. And so I just remember. I remember, you know, uh, one time, you know, going to the store with her and watching her budget out certain things based upon her income and when it came to my baby sister. And so, uh, and I remember a coworker of of hers came by the house and dropped off uh, two cases of milk, which uh, helped my mom bridge the gap. I just never forgot that. you know, it's it's certain things that uh, you don't discuss publicly, but when you hear them, it takes you back to your mind that um, you, you know, where people what people are going through because you know where you've been, you don't know where you're going. And so you should have to have the mindset of trying to make someone's pathway a little clearer than it was for you.
0: What will this bill do exactly?
2: Well actually it's, it uh eliminates the the sales tax on those uh uh items such as family hygiene products, uh diapers, uh milk and uh, things such as that uh, for instance
3: have any members expressed support for the measure
2: uh everybody has been open and kind of jokingly about it but you know there's really the funny thing about very few men are comfortable talking about um uh, those issues and items around um uh, women's hygiene and so you have to you know you have to be a forward-thinking guy to understand that uh the times that we we're living in, some guys would just rather not had a conversation about it. Oh, if you're going to do it, just gonna do it. We got to talk, about it, you know, and you know, I got three daughters. So uh, I got three sisters, three daughters. Uh, I was raised by my mom and grandma. So uh, I'm not new to this. I understand the, the situation that people end up in, and, and so you just have to be mindful.
3: Well, representative John Hines, we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us and it's very interesting that being a man, that you would put forth a bill that deals with a woman's issue.
2: Well, uh, I've been fighting for women's rights uh, ever since I've been elected in the legislature, and that's not going to change now. Uh, I have to be able to look my mom in her eyes and uh, say that I did what was right and fair. I have to be able to look at my wife in her eyes and say I did what was right and fair, and I have to be able to look at my daughters and say that I stood up uh, for their cares and their concerns. So for me, it is a labor of love. And so uh, I I will continue to do it.
3: Well, thank you so much again. We appreciate your time.
2: Well, thank you so much for reaching out.
0: This week is the deadline for action on revenue bills that originate in each chamber. Hines is urging those who support the measure to contact their legislators. A bill out of the Senate Medicaid Committee is making its way to the House after passing the chamber earlier this month. Senate Bill 2252 passed by the Senate on February 3rd. It expands Medicaid for parolees and authorizes the construction of a special care facility for paroled inmates. Richard Robertson is the general counsel for the Mississippi Hospital Association. He shares more about the potential legislation and how it fits with the greater debate to expand Medicaid in Mississippi.
1: It basically allows for Medicaid to pay for basically nursing home level of care for um, paroled inmates, and so that would put the paroled inmates on on Medicaid. Which, if they otherwise qualified for Medicaid, they'd they'd be able to receive Medicaid anyway. But what this does is take. Um, Take it to the next level and actually establish and help construct a um, a, a, a nursing home essentially for um, for paroled inmates and use Medicaid as the vehicle to pay for it. so it is uh, it appears to expand Medicaid for paroled inmates for nursing home services.
0: There is a philosophical uh, reason among Republicans in the legislature, our governor, that um, that expansion of Medicaid should not happen and will not happen. What makes this different? Is it because it's a budgetary concern that, as you said, that money is shifted away from the corrections department?
1: I, I can only assume that's the case, is that it's strictly to um, to save some state dollars, Um However, what we know is that actually providing health care to hardworking, low-income adult Mississippians will actually generate hundreds of millions of dollars each year in state revenue, and it improves the health quality for those working adults. And by virtue of that, it essentially pays for itself and people are healthier and they work longer at a higher quality of life rather than end-of-life care for paroled inmates that is, is going to be higher cost, and we're going to shift that burden to the federal government um, and, and still have the state have to pick up some of the tab. The state will have to, to pick up roughly 23% of the cost of that, as opposed to the state share for expansion, which is about 10% of the cost, which um, under a plan that that we've offered at the hospital association, that we figured out a way that you can pay for the state share without having to ask taxpayers to kick in even more money. So if we're talking about, you know, what program would be the most beneficial cost-wise and revenue-wise to the state, There's no doubt in the world that Medicaid expansion would be the single biggest thing that we could do for health care and the single biggest thing that we could do economically for the state of Mississippi to improve not just state revenue, but also improve our workforce, have a healthier workforce, and improve quality of life.
0: We have talked to many, many organizations and individuals who have advocated for Medicaid expansion in the state for years, and Mississippi is one of only, I believe, twelve states that has not expanded Medicaid. Do you see it as a viable option, even though we hear repeatedly that it won't happen?
1: You, you know, I, I hope I hope it is an option. I hope there are some uh, right-thinking people in the legislature, among our elected officials, that see that this is the right thing to do. Not just from a from a human standpoint that. This is a program that can help people significantly. It can help our workforce. We talk a lot about workforce development. Well, this is a program to help workforce development as well, Um, and and you're not going to have a a great workforce if you don't have a healthy workforce. And when people can't afford health care coverage and they delay getting health care that they need, their condition deteriorates and um, and you end up with worse health outcomes. What we'd like to see is people avoid unnecessary ER visits, that they get the primary and preventive care that they need because they have health care coverage, that they're able to get the tests that they need, the, the diagnostic tests, the, the mammograms, things that they need to stay healthier to be able to have a healthier workforce. And that's what our program provides. And that's what Medicaid expansion provides. And, you know, we've got the worst health outcomes in the country, and um, we've got to change. We've got to do something different. And, you know, when a hurricane hits the coast, when tornadoes hit our state, rightfully, we ask the federal government to provide financial assistance to those affected areas. Well, right now, we've got a healthcare care disaster, um, for many of our citizens because they can't get health care coverage and their condition is worse and worse and worse. And so while we're not doing the same thing for them and asking and taking advantage of the assistance that the federal government is offering, the state of Mississippi on this, is beyond comprehension to me. If we want to focus on more preventive care, if we want to keep people healthier, keep them out of hospitals, keep them out of more expensive care, this is absolutely the right thing to do. And on top of all that, you're pumping a billion dollars into Mississippi's economy every year. It seems like at times we're talking out of both sides of our mouth, and really we're cutting off our nose to spite our face by not taking this.
0: Richard Robertson is general counsel for the Mississippi Hospital Association. Richard, I much appreciate your time this morning. Thanks, Karen. I appreciate it. Coming up, Mississippi State University recognizes the power of storytellers. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
1: Allison Walker, the Lady Auto Mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The communications department at Mississippi State University is celebrating a new era of storytelling in the state. Story State, fostering innovative storytelling, will feature more than a dozen storytellers working in different genres, sharing their tips, experiences, and stories virtually. It's today. Josh Foreman, chairman of the 2021 Story State Planning Committee, says everyone knows about Faulkner, Welty, Elvis, and Robert Johnson. But as he shares with us, there are a whole lot of other great storytellers in Mississippi.
3: In the communication department here at Mississippi State, um, we, we have a print journalism concentration, PR, theater. So we have uh, all of these different uh, concentrations where people tell stories. And so we had this idea, why don't we go around the state and look for people who are great at telling stories in all of these different disciplines and try to get them to bring their knowledge to the university? And it was going to be a, a a public speaking event, but because of the pandemic, it has evolved into this kind of almost like a TED Talk type event. So all these presentations are going to be available on our website.
0: You have such a diverse group of people. I was just I was just amazed going through and seeing all the different topics, all of their specialties or expertise. So I know you can't go through all of them, but give us an idea of who and how... What made you think of them and how it came about in that way?
3: Well, you know, we have a great committee here at the university that's been planning this. So a lot of these names got brought up because, um, you know, they're well-known people in the state or uh, they maybe someone knew them, like uh, Zach Lancaster, for example. He's one of the best sound mixers probably in the country, and he's a, a, a crew member for HGTV's hometown. Well, he happened to be the uh, former student of one of the committee members. So that's how he got added. And, uh, you know, Anna Wolf is just I don't know anyone in the state who doesn't know Anna Wolf. So we said she would be a great person.
0: She's an investigative journalist.
3: She is. Yes, a good one.
0: You have a PR person who started a campaign in Mississippi. uh, So people wouldn't feel so negatively or have those preconceptions about Mississippi. Tell us about him.
3: Rick Lucer is – I can't think of a person um, who is working today who has done more to change the image of the state of Mississippi. He pretty much created the um, Mississippi Believe It campaign with his agency, the CELO agency. And um, I, I think most Mississippians would be familiar with this campaign. It's, uh, it was a print ad campaign, and there were some advertisements that showed – uh, famous Mississippi athletes, and the the line on the advertisement was, "Yes, we wear sh- uh, yes we wear shoes. Some of us even wear cleats." And then you've got all of our great athletes from uh, Jerry Rice, Brett Favre, and, and uh, all the others on the poster. And this this uh, this campaign has been shared far and wide. And Rick Lucer kind of just came up with this not because he was being paid to do it or asked to do it, because he was motivated to kind of change the perception of Mississippi in the country. And um, he, he really, really did well with it. And so I'm absolutely thrilled that he took part in Story State.
0: How do they tell their stories? Are, are they given a, a time limit? Is it all on video? How did that work? Well,
3: we, I asked them um, when I was kind of contacting everybody, I said, first and foremost, I want you to say what you want to say. So I don't want to give you, you know, a list of topics or, or this or that. It's, kind of, it's a mix of different types of talks. They're all between 10 to 15 minutes long for the most part, and um, they're all recorded. But uh, we tried to kind of do it right and record them with good audio equipment and video equipment. And the great thing about doing this during the pandemic, it turned out to be kind of a blessing, is these presentations are loaded with multimedia so Anna Wolf's presentation, it was, it was going to be a talk last year. Now it's a talk, but we also get to hear audio from her interviews. We get to see photographs. We get to see video. So it's really a cool multimedia kind of talk.
0: Who can access
3: this? This is totally public. So anyone can see these presentations today starting at 1 p.m., And the way that you can see these presentations is by going to storystate.msstate.edu. We're going to have our whole list of prep presenters ready to go. You can watch the whole program if you want to, you can pick and choose videos if you want to. So, all that's going to be available to anyone today.
0: Josh Foreman is an instructor in the communications department and also advisor to The Reflector at Mississippi State University, and it's called Story State, Fostering Innovative Storytelling. Josh, thank you. I hope you get a lot of attention with this.
3: It was my pleasure. Thank you.
0: Coming up in our book club I Am a Man A Civil Rights or Civil Rights Photographs in the American South 1960 to 1970 This is Mississippi edition on MPB Think Radio
1: for Gabble to gavel coverage of the 2021 Mississippi Legislative Session, watch At Issue from MPB News. I'm Wilson Stribling. Join me and our political analysts, Republican Austin Barber and Democrat Brandon Jones, as we discuss and debate the issues facing Mississippians and how they impact your state. Tune in Friday nights at 730 on MPB TV or listen to the podcast on mpbonline.org slash issue.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. William R. Ferris is a Mississippi native, author, and scholar, and former chairman of the National Endowment for the Humanities. He was commissioned to curate an exhibit and write the catalog for a collection of photos covering the Civil Rights Movement from 1960 to 1970. The exhibit, called I Am a Man, recently opened at the two Mississippi museums in Jackson after a record attendance show in France. The catalog takes form in a hardbound book featuring the images of 12 photographers. We close out Black History Month with this book about which Ferris says the photographs capture the quiet determination of elders and the angry commitment of the young. And they also remind us how far we have to go.
4: It's a very important historic document that is as relevant today with the Black Lives Matter movement, as it was in the 60s when the civil rights movement was moving
0: forward. How many of these photos would be ones that we recognize immediately?
4: I would say 10% of the photographs are immediately recognizable, like John Lewis being beaten by the police on the Edmund Pettus Bridge, Martin Luther King in Memphis, the photographs of his funeral the I am a man photograph that became an iconic photograph but most of the photographs were taken by local photographers and published in newspapers for local audiences that was what we tried to do is to bring out a largely unseen body of photographs that document this dramatic period of a decade in the American South. And many of those photographs were taken in our state of Mississippi.
0: You write the text. You're putting these photographs in context. Could you say that you're interpreting these photographs?
4: Yes. My essay tries to place photography in context with the history of the Black experience and protest from slavery to the present. Frederick Douglass in the 19th century was the most photographed American of that century. More photographs were taken of Douglass than of Abraham Lincoln. And he recognized that photography was a way of publicizing the Black experience and dignifying the Black faces But these photographs have a particularly important role. Photographers like Danny Lyon were hired by the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC, and they used his photographs on posters to publicize voter registration and civil rights sit-ins
0: And in a way that would make people be less hesitant or afraid by their own actions because they've been encouraged by someone that they can actually see a picture of.
4: Yes, and also just publicity. They might not even know about civil rights or voter registration. And when you can see the face of an elderly man or woman registering to vote, or of young people marching in protest, you identify with those faces, black and white, old and young. There's a universal appeal that the photography gave the movement. And the leaders of groups like SNCC recognized that and hired professional photographers like Danny Lyon to come and be part of that movement. And Doris Gerby realized that her gift as a photographer could be a part of the movement. And she went in with SNCC and photographed voter registration and schools and healthcare clinics as a way of giving a face to those people and to those activities. She also photographed the funeral procession and the aftermath of the two young men who were murdered at Jackson State. Photography plays a major role in this period, and that's exactly what this exhibit does, is bring all those photographs together in a single show. It's incredibly moving. And it's as if you are right there at that moment, because the photograph captures every scene in a riveting, very emotional way.
0: The book is I Am a Man, Photographs of the Civil Rights Movement from 1960 to 1970. We've been speaking with the gentleman who writes the text, the essayist, William R. Ferris. I thank you so much for being with us this morning. An honor, Karen. Thank you for having me. And I just want to add that the exhibit is at the two Mississippi museums in Jackson until mid-August. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it.